0: Welcome back strangers, or should I say, Happy Birthday Strangers! Today marks the one year anniversary of The Strangest, and to celebrate, we've compiled our favorite story from each of our videos that we've made over the past year. Our YouTube journey has been so incredible thanks to all of you strangers out there and we can't thank you enough. Without you, none of this would be possible. So please enjoy this compilation and we hope to keep creating videos for you guys for years to come. Also, if there's a particular clip you're interested in, check the top right corner for annotations that'll take you to the main video. And as always, stay strange. On a cold night in 1920, the legendary fighting Irish football player George the Gipper Gip returned to Notre Dame's campus late after curfew and found his dorm locked. The Gipper went to Washington Hall because he knew the rear door was often left open. However, the door was locked and the Gipper was forced to sleep outside on the front steps. By the morning, he had contracted pneumonia and eventually died from a strep throat infection due to a lack of knowledge of antibiotics at that time. (coughs) In the hospital, he told his football coach, When the team is up against it, when things are wrong and the brakes are beating the boys, ask them to go in there with all they've got and win just one for the Gipper. I don't know where I'll be then, but I'll know about it and I'll be happy. After his death, the Gipper's ghost began to be spotted in the early pre-dawn mornings sitting on the steps of Washington Hall. He has appeared throughout the theater and the green room. People often report the feeling of a light, encouraging pad that has been attributed to the Gipper. It is thought that he returned to where he spent his last night on campus to watch over the fighting Irish. The Old Town of Edinburgh originally consisted of one main street and small alleyways and courtyards that led off the main road. This area is now known as the Royal Mile. At the top of the Royal Mile sits Edinburgh Castle, leading all the way down to the bottom where the Parliament Building resides. The alleyways in between became known as Closes and were named after memorable residents or the jobs and trades of residents living in the apartments off of the close. Brody's Close is named after William Brody, a well-respected member of society and deacon of the Edinburgh Incorporation of Wrights and Masons. Brody was a master craftsman and was responsible for installing and repairing locks of banks businesses and many homes of the rich. In 1768, Brody used his position to copy the keys to a bank and successfully stole £800, which would be about £120,000 by today's currency. He used this money to maintain a secret life of gambling and supporting two different mistresses and the five children he fathered between them. In 1786, he recruited a gang of thieves to go on a crime spree that lasted for two years. until the police were finally tipped off that Brody was the mastermind behind a failed armed raid. Brody managed to evade the police and escape to Amsterdam before being arrested and brought back to Edinburgh for trial where he was found guilty. Before being hanged, Brody attempted to bribe the executioner to prevent himself from his imminent death. However, these bribes fell upon deaf ears and William Brody's story came to an end. Or did it? Not long after, his ghost began appearing at his old workshop and family home His ghost can be found walking along his clothes with a set of keys, sometimes accompanied by a fire-breathing dark horse that he brought with him from hell. The Freeway Killer was a nickname given by the media to what was believed to be a serial killer in California during the 1970s and 80s. The killer was dumping victims along freeways, but later turned out to be three separate murderers who operated independently of each other but operated with a similar M.O. The most notable of the murderers was William Bonin, who raped and killed at least 21 young men within a two year span. However, he is believed to have committed at least 15 additional murders that went unsolved. His victims were often teenagers and would be lured into Bonin's vehicle where their fates would be sealed. Once inside, Bonin would torture his victims, going as far as to stab them in the ears with ice picks and even forcing one victim to drink hydrochloric acid. Bonin was eventually arrested, went to trial, and became the first person in the history of California to be executed via lethal injection. The other two freeway killers included Randy Kraft, who murdered and raped up to 67 of his victims, and Patrick Kearney, who was known to copulate with the corpses of up to 43 of his victims. The first recorded Mothman sighting occurred on the cool evening of November 12, 1966. Five men were preparing a grave outside of Clendenin, West Virginia when a winged humanoid figure descended from a nearby tree and flew down between the group of men before quickly ascending above the tree line and flying away. Three days later the most well known encounter occurred in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Two young married couples were on a night drive near the West Virginia Ordnance Works, an area known by locals as the TNT area. There they passed the old power plant where they saw two glowing red eyes in the distance, The car slowed to a stop as they tried to figure out what it was they were looking at. The creature in the distance appeared to be 7 to 10 feet tall with a human-like body and wings. The creature stood there staring at them before taking off. The group panicked and sped away, but the creature pursued them. They drove over 100 miles per hour trying to escape from whatever it was that was following them but the creature continued to follow them until they made it into town. After taking time to compose themselves, the two couples decided to go back and investigate the TNT area. They reached the armory that was next to the old power plant, and the creature reappeared. It let itself be known by letting out a loud shriek and began trying to attack their car. They tried to drive away, but the creature landed in front of the car, blocking their escape. When the headlights of the car shined upon the creature, it appeared to be frightened by the light, and it took off and disappeared into the night. The couples made it safely into town a second time and went right to the police to report the mysterious creature they encountered. Deputy Halstead followed them back to where the first encounter occurred, but there was no sign of the creature. When the deputy went to radio and of the situation, a loud shrieking noise came over the radio. It was the same noise the two couples heard the creature make earlier in the night. The deputy quickly shut off the radio and left the scene to file his report. The sheriff called a press conference the next day and told the press of what happened the previous night. The press dubbed the creature the Mothman after a villain from the Batman TV show. Imagine if you will, you're a young woman who lives in a cabin in the middle of the woods. I'm noticing a trend. You're all alone and a masked man is trying to get into your house and murder you. What could be worse? Imagine that you're also deaf and mute. No calling the police? No hearing the footsteps coming up behind you, nothing. That is the unfortunate situation the protagonist of Hush finds herself in, however, this is no damsel in distress, she's a strong independent woman that don't need no man. This movie is a game of cat and mouse that will leave you screaming at your television trying to tell a deaf woman what to do. This was a movie I stumbled onto accidentally, but it quickly became one of my favorites and really gives you a look into a human's resourcefulness and will to live. <laughs> Tucker Hall has a strange connection to the high number of suicides it will even marry. In 2015, there were four different student suicides out of 8,000 students who attended. Tucker Hall was originally built as a library, then housed the law department for 13 years before becoming home to the English department. During the 1980s, a girl hung herself on the third floor of Tucker Hall after a long night of studying. A few years later, another student was found hanging in the exact same spot with a note that only said, She made me do it. In 2004, a man killed himself in the building. Many have reported a strange girl who comes up to those pulling an all-nighter in the building and asks how their study's going. If the student says fine, she'll tell them they should call it a night and head to bed. If the student doesn't listen, the girl throws a fit and slams her hands on the walls and tables until they leave. If the student responds that studying is not going well and they think they may fail, the girl tries to convince them to kill themselves to solve all their problems and shortcomings in life. You're walking outside, minding your own business. When suddenly, you see a shadow dart in front of you. You shrug it off as a bat or bird, until you turn around and see an evil smile following you. You try to run, but it's no use. You just became this next Pokemon's victim. Gengar is a ghost Pokemon that wants nothing more than a playmate. The only problem is, it wants to kill you so your ghost can fill that position.
1: Gengar, the shadow Pokemon. Should you feel yourself attacked by a sudden chill, it is evidence of an approaching Gengar. There is no escaping it. Give up.
0: Gengar gives new meaning to being afraid of your shadow, and if you're not careful, you'll be forced to play with it forever and ever. The Hotel Britannia Adelphi opened in 1914 and is the third hotel to occupy the site. The first was built in 1826 and was replaced by the second hotel 50 years later. Many guests decide to never check out and instead spend eternity wandering the hotel floors. George is an apparition that appears standing next to a guest's bed on the fifth floor. He is believed to be the ghost of a guest who fell, jumped, or was pushed out of a window on the fifth floor in the 1920s. There is also a ghostly young lady with long black hair and staring eyes who roams the halls, along with the bellboy who was killed when he was caught between floors on an old elevator. An apparition is often seen hanging out of a window on the Crosby Room. Other ghosts include a female pickpocket, a 15-year-old pageboy, and the gray lady in the Victorian dress. We would love to spend a night in the most haunted room of this hotel. Number 4 Our next theory is about our favorite small town chief of police and a certain telekinetic preteen. We all know that Jim Hopper lost his daughter Sarah to cancer at a young age. but. What if the upside down logic of the Stranger Things universe could lead to Eleven being Hopper's daughter? In a world where monsters are roaming the earth, children have psychic abilities and mothers communicate with their children through Christmas lights, is it really that hard to believe? Sure, you would think Hopper would recognize his own daughter, but hey, he's got a lot on his plate right now. Theorists also note that he left waffles for Eleven in the season 1 finale without anyone telling him that she was addicted to them. But hey, who doesn't love waffles? The legend of the Richmond Vampire began on October 2nd, 1925 when the C&O locomotive engine 231 was awaiting construction workers to load their debris onto the train's flatbed cars while in the Church Hill Tunnel. The tunnel was built in 1875 and had fallen into disrepair and was being renovated when the roof of the tunnel collapsed onto engine 231 and its crew. Workers at the entrance of the tunnel managed to escape and reported seeing a man-like form emerge from the tunnel, covered in blood, with visibly jagged teeth and hanging flesh from its body. The figure then quickly raced towards the James River. When people pursued, it escaped to Hollywood Cemetery and disappeared into the mausoleum of William Worth Poole. William Poole was an 80-year-old bookkeeper who passed away in 1922. However his mausoleum mysteriously only lists the year 1913 on it along with W.W. Poole. The W's appear almost like fangs inscribed on the mausoleum. The architecture of this strange tomb is both Masonic and ancient Egyptian design. The year 1913 may simply mark his wife's death or the absence of a death year could allude to Pools immortality. Local legend says Poole was exiled from England when he was discovered to be a vampire. After the Church Hill tunnel collapsed, workers tried to recover the bodies of missing men who were trapped beneath the tunnel. Yet they only discovered the body of Tom Mason sitting upright in the engineer's cab, exactly how he was when it collapsed. No other bodies were found, and Engine 231 was left abandoned under the debris. And the entrance of the tunnel was bricked up. Everything
1: was at the house when they first moved in, and they were like some weird shit started happening and I swear it was after we played with that Ouija board. I guess it released something in the house,
0: I don't know. On Sunday, June 6th, 1993, a horrific tragedy occurred in the small town of Windsor, North Carolina. The manager and cashier at Abilo Market were finishing closing the store along with the Sunday night cleaning crew. Unknown to them, they were not the only ones in the store. A monster had come in and hid silently in the back while waiting patiently for the store to close. Around 6.15, once the doors were locked, the man appeared with a gun, rounded up the six employees and took them to the back butcher room. Here he bound them with duct tape and gagged them. He stacked them three by three, two on top of each other with the intention of shooting through the stacks to save ammunition. The monster fired the gun into the stacks until he ran out of bullets. He then grabbed a butcher knife and began slashing at the victims. He stabbed so hard that he broke the knife in a victim's back before slowly leaving the store and disappearing into the night. The killer left without making sure his victims were all dead. One person managed to get free from the blood-soaked duct tape and crawled across the store to a phone and called 911. The police found 3 dead, 2 critically injured, and 1 victim completely unharmed physically. The unharmed victim described the attacker as a black male between 30-35 to years old with a solid slender build and a military style haircut. He had light brown slanted eyes with a narrow nose bridge that was possibly caused from a sports injury. The killer told his victims that he was a former police officer who was unjustly fired. Police believe this is untrue and are still unsure of the stranger's identity. He left with $3,000 in cash and the store keys and a cloth shopping bag and has never been seen again. Real monsters are humans and on December 6, 1991, monsters descended upon a yogurt shop to rape, murder, and burn four teenage girls in Austin, Texas. Elise Thomas and Jennifer Harbinson were both 17 and working part-time at I Can't Believe It's Yogurt. They were closing the shop while Jennifer's 15-year-old sister Sarah and her 13-year-old friend Amy Ayers waited for them to get off. However, at 11.03, a sale was recorded on the cash register that simply read, No Sale, before a nightmare straight out of hell was unleashed. Around midnight, firefighters responded to a fire at the yogurt shop. While battling the fire, they discovered the bodies of three girls stacked on top of each other near the back door. They were naked, bound, and gagged with their own clothes, and each had been shot in the head execution style, including the fourth, who was not in the stack. Some of the girls had been raped, their bodies were covered with styrofoam cups that were drenched with lighter fluid to set the fire to get rid of the evidence. The girls had been planning a sleepover, and were last seen alive a little after 10pm. Witnesses reported seeing two strange men lingering at one of the back tables of the shop. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night, unable to move your arms, legs, or the rest of your body? You're unable to speak, but are fully aware of what's happening. You may experience this for a few seconds, but it could also last for several minutes. This is the horror of sleep paralysis. It's a terrifying experience and some people have visual or audible hallucinations and believe that they are having a paranormal experience. A person may only experience it once in their lifetime, or it may be reoccurring, it is believed to affect 8-50% to of the entire population. Sleep paralysis is usually accompanied by intense emotions such as fear, panic, or the feeling of impending death. Some feel vibrations or tingles throughout their body, or experience the feeling of being drugged out of their bed. The hallucinations can include the sounds of hissing, humming, whispering, or other strange voices. Difficulty in breathing often happens, with the feeling of pressure on one's chest, as if some force is suffocating them. Many hallucinate that some sort of demon, ghost, or creature is sitting on their chest, choking. Wilson Hall is the most famous haunting at the University. Built in 1965, it is a relatively new building considering the number of hauntings and legends that now surround the infamous building. It started in the 1970s when a student living in room 428 mysteriously passed away. Afterwards, each person who stayed in the room reported experiencing some form of paranormal activity. Things in room 428 escalated when a female student living in Wilson Hall began to study the occult and use the energy of the room to communicate with the dead. One night, a ritual went horribly wrong for the girl, which resulted in her violent and bloody death. Some accounts say that she slit her wrists to the bone while attempting to perform a new ritual. The room has been deemed unlivable by the university and has been sealed off. After the tragic deaths, students began to report hearing footsteps in the empty room. The door would violently slam shut, and items left inside would randomly fly across the room and be left in a mess. Shadowy, ghostly figures are often seen roaming the halls of Wilson. The ridges are a part of campus that were formerly the Athens Lunatic Asylum, a mental hospital that was opened from 1874 until 1993. The asylum treated children and adults suffering from various mental disabilities, It became a popular place for Civil War veterans to seek treatment for the condition we now know as post-traumatic stress disorder. The initial population of the asylum was 200 patients, but it quickly grew to over 2,000 by the 1900s, more than three times the planned capacity for the asylum. The overcrowding led to a drastic decline in the quality of care patients received. However, the more patients, the more profit. Patients who were able were put to work on the hospital's farm, and the patients that couldn't work or rebelled underwent inhumane and torturous treatments. Patients would be submerged in ice water for extended periods of time. They would have electric shocks administered directly to their temples, and the hospital quickly became known for their lobotomies to treat depressive or psychotic tendencies. Many lobotomy patients ended up dead or left in a catatonic state. Today, the ridges are used as classrooms, offices, and storage for Ohio University and the Kennedy Museum of Art. However, the former mental hospital's past still lingers with haunting reminders of the building's dark history. A stain of Margaret Schilling's body is etched into the concrete floor of the ridges. Margaret Schilling was a patient who vanished from her ward, only to be found several weeks later in the abandoned top floor of the old infectious patient ward that had been closed a year earlier. They found her naked on the floor, with her clothes neatly folded beside her. She had somehow gotten locked inside of the old ward, and her body was so badly decomposed that her bodily fluids permanently stained the concrete floor she died laying on. If you aren't unfortunate enough to see the stain, you may still encounter Margaret Schilling, or one of the many ghosts of former patients and staff wandering the building at night. Many witnessed darting shadows and people appearing in mirrors behind them. Many parts of the ridges that are used for storage or are abandoned are full of asbestos and lead, making it costly to tear down or fully renovate each part that have fallen into disrepair.
2: On August 20th, 1966, a man was flying a kite on Ventum Hill in Niteroi, Brazil, when he stumbled upon the bodies of two young men partially covered in grass and leaves. The men were wearing formal suits, waterproof coats, and each had a pair of homemade lead glasses covering their eyes. Police found an empty water bottle, a receipt for the bottle, two small wet towels, and a notebook nearby the bodies. Besides work notes, the notebook mysteriously read, 1630, be at the determined place. 1830, swallow capsules, after effect, protect metals, wait for signal, in Portuguese. There were no signs of trauma or any evidence of struggle. No autopsy or toxicology report was ever performed because the coroner's office was too busy, leaving the internal organs of the victims to become too decomposed for reliable testing. The men were identified as Manuel Pereira de Cruz and Miguel Jose Viana. They were two electrical technicians from Campos de los Friends and family told police that the two left town three days earlier on August 17th to go buy work supplies and possibly a car saying they would only be gone for the afternoon. Instead, the men rode a bus 110 miles to Niteroi, allegedly with the money to purchase all that they needed. When they arrived, they bought waterproof coats at a local shop and then one bottle of water from a local bar. The bartender later told police that the men were very nervous and constantly checking their watches. Police believed this occurred right before they left for the hillside, and the men were never seen alive again.
0: Fairies regularly travel from Rathen Island to Ballycastle, where you will find another old haunted castle overlooking the sea that has been turned into a hotel. Ballygalley Castle is over 400 years old and is haunted by three very active spirits. The most well known is Lady Isabella Shaw, the wife of Lord James Shaw, that only wanted a son so he would have a proper heir. When Lady Shaw finally gave birth to a son, Lord Shaw took the baby from her and locked his wife in a tiny room at the top of the castle. One report says Isabella grew restless and possibly went insane in the room, until she tried to escape, only to fall to her death. Others said that Lord Shaw or someone he hired threw Isabella out the window at the top of the castle. Now, Isabella roams the castle in search for her baby. Guests hear strange noises, witness a mysterious green mist, and sometimes smell the old vanilla scent the lady was known to wear. She is most often seen in the tiny old room she was imprisoned in. Today, it has been fittingly named the Ghost Room, which guests can stay in. Madame Nixon lived in the hotel during the 19th century and is thought to be the second ghost that roams the castle at night. Guests often report mysterious footsteps and glimpses of a phantom woman wearing a silk dress roaming the halls. The sound of a child running around playing and laughing is often heard around the castle grounds, even when no guests have kids. The restless child is known to play pranks on guests and staff. He loves to knock things over and unfold sheets and towels so unsuspecting staff who open locked rooms only to find them mysteriously in disarray. The first recorded sighting of the monster occurred in the 6th century when the Irish monk St. Columba encountered a group of people burying a man by the river Ness that had been killed by a supposed water beast. Columba sent one of his followers across the river to investigate, but was attacked by the beast. St. Columba made the sign of the cross saying, Go no further, do not touch the man, go back at once, causing the creature to pull back and flee. Nessie was sighted again around 1871 when a Mr. McKenzie reported an object resembling a log or overturned boat squirming slowly through the water before quickly vanishing. The monster myth grew when a new road was built along the lock. In 1933, George Spicer and his wife witnessed an enormous prehistoric animal that was 4 feet tall and 25 feet long, with a never-ending neck like an elephant's trunk crossed the road in front of their car moving towards the lock. Later that year, Arthur Grant, another motorist, encountered the same creature. He described it as having a long neck with a tiny head, almost like a seal and plesiosaur hybrid. Hugh Gray claimed to have taken the first photo of the monster in 1933, however, most believe it is just a blurry photo of his golden retriever fetching a stick out of the lock. In 1975, the famous surgeon's photograph that started the Nessie craze was exposed as a hoax, accomplished by using a toy submarine attached to a fake head and neck. Throughout the years, most photographs have been too blurry to make out anything or have been later been proved to be pranks and hoaxes. In 2014, a satellite photo taken on the Apple Maps appeared to show a 100 foot shape swimming in the Loch. The mysterious outline sparked new interest in the beast and there have been at least nine reported sightings of the Loch Ness monster in 2017. Each year, 200,000 tourists travel to the Scottish Highlands to visit Loch Ness in hopes of getting a glimpse of the monster for themselves. On June 10th, 2009, a contest was held on the Something Awful Internet Forum. It was a contest in which participants were required to photoshop normal photographs into something paranormal. A user by the name of Eric Knudsen, or his username Victor Surge, submitted two images featuring a group of children with a tall, slim man in the background. The man was wearing a black suit and had no face. The pictures were accompanied by text which added context, claiming the tall man was connected with multiple child abductions. He named the creature the Slender Man. Knudsen said his slender creation was inspired by Zach Parsons' That Insidious Beast, Stephen King's The Mist, and The Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. The first picture submitted read as follows, We didn't want to go. We didn't want to kill them. But its persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time." The second photograph was captioned "One of two recovered photographs from the Sterling City Library blaze, notable for being taken the day which 14 children vanished, and for what is referred to as the Slender Man." Deformity cited as film defects by officials. Fire at library occurred one week later. Actual photograph confiscated as evidence. The pictures quickly went viral, and people began creating their own images and stories of the mysterious Slender Man which paved the way for many stories and creepypasta that we know today. Belize police enlisted the help of FBI and Scotland Yard for detective work and forensics, but the case has remained cold. The serial killer is referred to as Jack, after the infamous Jack the Ripper that mutilated women in London. Jack may have had some sort of medical training and used surgical tools to make precise cuts along the girls' bodies. It is believed that at least 3 of the victims were held captive in the same place because of the relative proximity their bodies were found to one another. It seems possible that there may have been 2 killers, due to the way some of the victims were held down and cut, suggesting the need for multiple individuals. It could also explain why the killings continued while suspects were incarcerated, suggesting the accomplice was still out there. Some girls appeared to be raped, but not all victims showed signs of this. The motive for the killings has also not been determined. The way some of the murders differ causes some experts to argue that not all of the girls were the victim of the same killer. One theory is that the killer stalked the children of single parents from low-income families. They would befriend their victims with gifts before abducting them.
2: A girl hung herself on the top floor of Gramley dormitory. Students on the second floor report hearing the furniture move in the middle of the night along with sounds of marbles dropping from the floor above them. Supposedly this is the haunting sound of the dresser that the girl moved in the jar of marbles that was knocked over the night she killed herself. Students have also seen a man in black in the basement of the dorm, usually sighted in the community kitchen. Sometimes he appears as a full-bodied apparition, but other times he only appears as ominous black smoke. On November 28, 1873, a 16-year-old Salem Academy boarder from Augusta, Georgia burned to death in the Single Sisters house. She was practicing piano when an ember from a stove caught her dress on fire, causing her to run through the building. Running only caused the flames to grow before they could be put out. She passed away later that day and students still report seeing a woman in a period dress peering from the windows of Single Sisters, usually between 2 or 3 in the morning. Is it the girl who died from her horrendous burns, or is it one of the restless spirits of those who died in the building when it was usually used as the college's infirmary?
0: Bob and his dog stopped and stood motionless as they watched a flying dome 20 feet wide hovering above the grass. It did not move, and there was no sound coming from the object. It appeared to be made of a dark metallic material, shiny but rough like sandpaper with what looked to be small propellers resting underneath its circular bottom. The strangest thing was the dome appeared to be solid, before quickly becoming transparent as if the craft had some sort of cloaking device. Suddenly, two small spheres covered in long spikes dropped out from the dome and came at Bob. They made horrifying sucking sounds as they latched onto his pants, one on each leg. The last thing Bob remembered was a foul, nauseating smell like burning brakes as he felt himself being dragged towards the craft before losing consciousness. When Bob finally awoke, the objects were gone. He had a pounding headache, was covered in mud, his pants and shirt were ripped, and he was bleeding from a gash on his chin. He walked back to his truck, but discovered it wouldn't start, so he and his dog walked back to his home in Livingston. In August 2014, a man was minding his own business, flying his drone around the New Hampshire countryside. He maneuvered his drone, videoing the landscape and landmarks until nightfall, when he decided it was a good time to pack up and go home. Little did he know that he had captured something terrifying during his flight. Upon reviewing the footage, he noticed a dark humanoid figure on top of a barn he had flown over. The figure seemed to have dramatically elongated arms and legs and moved across the roof in an abnormal almost spider-like manner he studied the film and showed it to his friends some claimed it was merely a shadow or hole in the roof while another pointed out that the figure resembled a human-like creature on all fours though the experience was unsettling the man continued his life dropped the idea and moved forward that is until a few days later suddenly one night His dog began barking continuously on the west side of his house. This went on for hours, as the dog continued while moving to the south side of his house. The man eventually got fed up with the noise and went to stop his dog. When he found him, the dog was at the front door, paws on the door, snarling at whatever he thought was on the other side. The man turned on the front lights, but nothing was there. Again, he shook it off, took the dog to the basement, and went to sleep. The next day, the man's nephew, who had been staying the weekend, began drawing and decided to hang his picture on the refrigerator. The picture contained a dark humanoid figure with elongated limbs crawling up the driveway of the man's house. Startled, the man asked his nephew what exactly he had drawn. The boy replied, It's the monster that was outside our house last night. He then went on to say that the dog's barking was the only thing keeping the monster out of the house. And that afterwards the monster climbed on top of the roof but was unable to find a way in. Startled, the man asked, why is it trying to get in? To which his nephew replied,
2: "You made it angry. He took its picture.
0: Unfortunately, it didn't end there. The following day, the neighbor from across the street confronted the man, saying that her daughter had begun drawing pictures depicting a black humanoid monster sitting on top of the man's roof staring the neighbor's house down. A week later, the man decided to fly his drone again, this time at the local skate park. While there, he received a call from his sister.
1: Why is Kyle drawing black monsters hiding at the foot of your bed? He keeps drawing pictures of a man he says is you sleeping while a giant spider monster of some kind watches you from across the room.
0: Disturbed and in a state of paranoia, the man packed up his drone and went to leave. However. As he left, he noticed a dark figure emerge from behind one of the skate ramps. He began to sprint out of the park and back to the parking garage to find his car. He tried to convince himself that he was just overreacting, but as he got to the parking garage elevator, he noticed a hooded figure walking towards him. Convinced he was overreacting, he held the door open for the hooded man. The man walked in, the doors closed, and the nightmare began. The hooded figure contorted its body, falling backwards on its arms and legs. The lights on the elevator flickered on and off repeatedly as the creature continued contorting its body. As the doors finally opened, the man saw the monster's red eyes staring at him. He dropped his drone's case and ran. Though the details of this story seem far-fetched, he was not the only person that seems to have come in contact with this monster. The Shambles is York's most famous street and today you will find a nice mix of shops, restaurants, and pubs that you can visit and enjoy. However, the design of this unique narrow street and the Elizabethan building surrounding it are the result of the street originally being the city's butcher block. The cobbled channel in the middle of the street between the raised pavement was designed to dispose of the blood, guts, and waste that was left flowing through the street. The overhanging buildings were designed to allow greater floor and living space above the butcher stalls, but they also provided the perfect shelter to protect the hanging meat from the sun and rain. You can still see the hanging hooks left in some of the buildings, along with the lingering spirits of the past. Many of the shops and shambles claim to have their own ghosts, but one that appears regularly for over a hundred years was a tall, well-dressed gentleman wearing a bowler hat. He was often seen standing outside or in a shop window from the 1800s until around the 1940s. He would often wave or smile to those who caught his eye, but would quickly vanish if someone tried to speak to him. Strangely, he has not been seen since the end of World War II.
2: The family usually kept to themselves on the isolated farm, but Andreas had recently told a few people in the nearby town that a series of unexplainable events that began happening in the middle of March. While surveying the farm after a recent snowstorm, Andreas found mysterious footsteps in the snow that led from the forest on the edge of his property to the family's home before they mysteriously stopped. There was no other tracks leading back away from the house. Andreas searched everywhere on his farm and inside the home for any other evidence of the strange visitor from the woods, but it was like they vanished without a trace. Later, Andreas woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of footsteps and odd noises coming from the attic. However, he found the attic to be empty when he went to investigate. Andreas told his neighbor that his keys had gone missing from inside the home. He had also found a strange newspaper in his house that none of his family recognized. And his shed appeared like someone had tried to pick the lock and break in. His neighbor offered him a gun for protection, but sadly Andreas declined the offer, still refusing the belief that something truly sinister was happening on the farm. On the evening of the 31st, an unknown monster lured Andreas, his wife, his daughter Victoria, and granddaughter into the barn one by one where they were ambushed and murdered with a mattock. It appeared that the adults died almost instantly from their fatal wounds, but Andreas' little granddaughter suffered for hours alone next to her dead family, repeatedly tearing out her own hair while she slowly passed away. Next, the intruder entered the home and killed baby Joseph in his cot before finally entering Maria's bedroom and hacking her body into pieces. The maid had just begun her job earlier that day. What do you think spooked the previous maid causing her to know not to spend one more night on the Cursed Farm.
0: Morrow Library was the university's main library until the recent completion of the Drink Library. Morrow is now an auxiliary library and museum that still has a couple of quarrelsome spirits wandering its halls. Those left alone in the building often report hearing loud arguments between multiple voices, despite no one else being in the building. Sometimes books and other items will fall off the shelves without explanation.
2: In 1899, Nikola Tesla, the famous inventor and electrical engineer, intercepted radio signals unlike any of the natural radio sources on Earth. He believed the signal was coming from an intelligent life on Mars using radio waves to communicate using a number system as their language. In 1927, Jorgen Halls, a Norwegian engineer, was experimenting with radio signals and discovered some of the signals would echo back to him several seconds later. He could not explain the delayed echoes, but Black Knight enthusiasts believed that he was picking up signals that were being bounced back from the alien satellite. In 1954, UFO researcher Donald Kehoe told newspapers that the US Air Force had detected signals coming from two potential satellites orbiting Earth, despite there being no known man-made satellites in orbit yet. In the early 1960s, Time reported that an unknown object was discovered to be in a polar orbit around Earth. This unexplained object was supposedly monitoring US and Soviet satellites that were in an equatorial orbit. After the report was made public, the US Department of Defense announced that this unknown object was simply a piece of the Discovery 8 satellite launcher that had been drifting in space. Duncan Lunin, a science communicator and science fiction author, attempted to determine the origin of these mysterious radio waves that Tesla and Halsey had encountered. He determined in 1973 that the signals were messages transmitted by an alien probe that had been sent from the star system Epsilon Butis that had been lurking near the moon for the past 13,000 years. Charles Whitman knew something was wrong with him. He complained of headaches, violent outbursts, and intrusive thoughts in the weeks leading up to his mass shooting and suicide. His suicide note read, I do not really understand myself these days. I am supposed to be an average, reasonable, and intelligent young man. However, lately, I cannot recall when it started. I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. After my death, I wish that an autopsy would be performed on me, as if there is any visible physical disorder. Whitman was a former Eagle Scout, Marine, and an expert marksman. He was discharged from the Marines in 1963 and returned to the University of Texas to study architecture in 1965. He began to suffer serious mental problems after his mother finally left his abusive father in March of 1966. On March 29th, he told a psychiatrist that he was having uncontrollable fits of rage He even stated that he had thoughts of going up the university tower with a rifle to shoot anyone he saw in his sight. However, the doctor did not believe these threats should be taken seriously, and did nothing to prevent Whitman from acting out his violent fantasy. On the evening of July 31st, Whitman arrived at his mother's home. He rendered her unconscious, stabbed her in the heart, and shot her. He left a note beside the body that read, To whom it may concern. I have just taken my mother's life. I am very upset over having done this. However, I feel that if there is a heaven, she is there now. I am truly sorry. Let there be no doubt in your mind that I love this woman with all my heart. Whitman returned home and waited for his wife to go to sleep. He then stabbed her three times in the heart. He typed a note before her death that said, I loved her dearly, I cannot rationally pinpoint any specific reason for doing this." His entry in his journal read, August 1st, 1966, 3 AM, both dead. It continued to say, if my life insurance policy is valid, please pay off my debts, donate the rest anonymously to a mental health foundation. Maybe the research can prevent further tragedies of this type. The next day he entered the elevator of the University of Texas Tower and traveled up to the observation deck. He brought an assortment of weapons and supplies they brought and stockpiled in a rental truck earlier that morning. Once he reached the top deck, he began shooting every person he saw below. The rampage lasted a little over an hour and a half. Whitman shot most of his victims near or in the heart. He murdered 14 people and wounded 31 others before being shot and killed by two heroic police officers.
0: Throughout history, one of the biggest mysteries has been that of the identity of Jack the Ripper. However, many were convinced that he was already admitted into the Broadmoor criminal lunatic asylum. Thomas Hain Cutbush was a patient that had been committed after stabbing a woman during a nightly stroll. The public has been convinced that he was the Ripper, to the point where the asylum actually released a series of 26 documents in an attempt to silence the claims. Thomas's insanity began to bloom in 1888, which coincided with the murders of the Ripper. Whether he was the Ripper or not, Thomas was insane. He was convinced that his doctor had been attempting to poison and kill him. After failed attempts to press charges, he believed that the government was also in on the murder attempts. After he was committed for the murder of the young woman, he was also reported to be very violent. This included an attempt to bite his mother's face off during one of her visits. Thomas' description also matched that of the Ripper, including his bright blue eyes and his famous limp. It was also noted that Thomas's uncle, who was a superintendent of the Scotland Yard, shot himself around the time of the Ripper's murders. Was Thomas really the Ripper, or just a severely demented individual? We may never know. In the Holy Spirit, we cast you out, demon. The power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you! Also you should check out our channel, Stay Strange, which is gonna be used for any gaming content, skit videos, anything that doesn't fit our normal algorithm or our normal taste in videos.
2: It's our experiment channel where we can do anything that we don't think will quite fit the strangest, and we'll throw it
0: up there, so. So, the link will be down below, but you should check it out and subscribe. It's, It's a great time.
2: What would happen if our reality is an illusion and we are programs living inside a computer simulation? In the movie The Matrix, artificial intelligences known as the machines created a simulated virtual reality based on society at the turn of the 21st century, known as the Matrix, to keep the minds of humanity under their control. The character Neo encounters a glitch inside the Matrix when he experiences deja vu after watching the same black cat walk past him twice. Deja vu in the Matrix is caused by a glitch that occurs when the machines change something inside the simulation. If our reality is a simulation like the one presented in The Matrix, then it makes many wonder if we experience similar glitches in our simulated reality, like the ones presented in the film. These glitches can be like deja vu, precognition, or premonition, where a person perceives something that breaks the laws of physics or rules of our reality. There is a whole subreddit on Reddit dedicated to eyewitness stories that cannot be explained with critical thinking called R. Glitch in the Matrix. Along with lots of different AskReddit threads where thousands of people have shared their reality shattering experiences. Outside of Belfast you will find the Giant's Ring, a hinge monument that dates back to the Neolithic period and was built around 2700 BC. The site is a 200 meter earthwork circle with a tomb in the center made up of five upright stones and a large capstone. The original purpose of the monument was most likely a memorial to the dead or a religious site. The Giant's Ring predates the pyramids in Egypt and Christianity. Archaeologist Michael O'Kelly believed the site, along with others like it around Ireland and Britain, were built by an ancient cult known as the Cult of the Dead. The cult followed an early religion which venerated the dead as one of its core principles. Some believe that the site has been used by many different cults and pagan religions as a location for many sinister rituals and even possibly human sacrifice. Early Christians would not visit the site because of the local pagan myths and legends surrounding the old tomb. The area around the ancient monument was briefly used as a race course during the 18th century before it was declared a heritage site. Today it is free to visit when the park around it is open. Many who visit the site have reported seeing a mist that is known to engulf the area around the ancient tomb. Whenever you try to escape the mist it will bring you back to the center of the monument. We didn't encounter the mist when we visited, we did get to see an amazing ancient site that I would never heard of before our trip to Northern Ireland.
0: The mysterious Scotsman was never found, but James Donaldson, a body snatcher who may have been connected to the case, was convicted and sentenced to a year in Kirkdale Prison. In Dublin, Ireland, Cavanaugh's Pub holds the proud title of being the oldest family-run pub in the city. The pub opened in 1833, and it soon became known as the Gravedigger's Pub, because it was located right next to Glasnevin Cemetery. It became a custom for gravediggers in the cemetery to shovel dirt against the pub's wall to signal they wanted a pint. Many body snatchers took sanctuary in the pub, and were known to enjoy a pint or two after a long night's work. Today, the pub is said to be haunted by an old man dressed in tweeds who enjoys sitting at the bar, drinking a pint, before quickly disappearing. Glasnevin Cemetery opened a year before Cabana's pub, but it quickly became a hotspot for body snatchers to visit. The Dublin Anatomy School and Royal College of Surgeons required a vast number of bodies for dissection in Dublin. Adult bodies were worth two pounds, while children's bodies were sold by inch. Twelve-foot walls were built around the cemetery to protect from grave robbers and body snatchers. Watchtowers were quickly built along the perimeter, but it eventually became necessary for mobile watchtowers to be built and moved around to guard the fresh graves. The cemetery tried placing heavy slabs over important graves, installed cages around others, and employed a team of watchmen to protect the remains of people's loved ones. Today, Glasnevin Cemetery is the final resting place of 1.5 million people across its 124 acres. You don't have to worry about body snatchers, but cemeteries are believed to be haunted by several ghosts and ghouls, so you never know who or what you may encounter in the Glastonborn Cemetery. Number 1 The time has finally come. You've fought through terrifying temples, fought creepy enemies, and you've reached the plateau, the final boss. You're out of the woods, all of the disturbing gameplay is over. Well, never mind. Majora's Mask is the final boss of the game, and is by far the creepiest, most unnerving enemy in the game. Hell, even before the boss fight starts, it's creepy. First you enter the moon's mouth and find four children, all wearing the masks of the previous bosses you killed. Then, sitting by himself like the little emo kid from high school, is a child wearing the mask of Majora himself. You speak to him, and the fight begins. The first phase of the fight involves Majora transforming into a giant Roomba and sliding across the room in an attempt to kill you, while the disembodied boss masks shoot you from afar. After defeating them, Majora grows arms, legs, and eye, and some sick dance moves. He begins to frantically dance around the stage trying to kill you while simultaneously beating his high score at Dance Dance Revolution. If you beat this form, Majora turns into his final form, Majora's Wrath. This form features Majora getting swole and developing a taste for steroids as well as growing a cute little demon head. He is completely sporadic and begins to grab and attack you with his tentacles that would make a Japanese hentai blush. If you manage to defeat this abomination, you've beaten this creepy game. Save the world of Termina and get a nice souvenir of eternal nightmares. What a prize.
2: The Himalayan people have had legends of mythical creatures living in their mountains for thousands of years. The Mirka is a wild man that local legends say that anyone who sees one will soon die or be killed. The Boon manki, also known as the Meti or more commonly as Yeti, is a man beast, sometimes translated as Jungle Man. Often a Yeti is a warning sign or a figure of danger in local legends, a reason to stay close together and safe within the community by avoiding the dangers of traveling alone and wild animals. When Alexander the Great conquered the Indus Valley in 326 BC, he demanded to see one of these mythical beasts. However, locals told him they were unable to bring one because yetis cannot survive in low altitude areas. These local legends were mostly forgotten by the outside world until modern times when westerners began traveling to the Himalayas. In 1921 Lieutenant Colonel Charles Burry led an expedition up Mount Everest. Afterwards he told journalist Henry Newman of an unexplained experience his team encountered while scaling the mountain's north face. He said his men noticed unknown dark shapes moving around in the snow above them. When they reached the area where they saw the shapes, all they could find were large human-like footprints in the snow. Newman published this story and soon adventurers from around the world wanted to climb the Himalayans to try to catch their own glimpse of the mysterious abominable snowman. In the 1950s, Yeti fever exploded when Eric Shipton, a highly respected Mount Everest climber, discovered and took photos of unusual footprints when he was searching for an alternative route up the mountain. These footprints looked human-like but were massive and had a thumb. The Daily Mail published these photos in 1954 along with an alleged photo of a Yeti Scalp which got the attention of Edmund Hillary, the first recorded person to summit Mount Everest. Hillary launched his own investigation into the creature with the focus of discovering how they live at such a high altitude. Tom Slick, an American oil tycoon, spent six months with over 500 porters and bloodhounds in an attempt to be the first to find hard evidence of the existence of the creature. However, no one could find definitive proof of the existence of the elusive creature.
0: On October 21, 1978, 20-year-old Fred left Victoria's airport in Australia at 6.19pm. He was piloting a rented single-engine Cessna headed for Kings Island over the Bass Strait. Shortly after sunset, at 7 p.m., Fred radioed Melbourne Air Flight Services and spoke with controller Steve Roby. Here's a recording of the exchange. I recommend turning on the closed caption subtitles if you can't make out exactly what they're saying.
1: This Delta Sierra Juliet. Is there any known traffic below 5,000 feet? No known traffic. Seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000 feet. What type of aircraft is it? I cannot confirm. It's full, bright, seems to be like landing lights. The aircraft has just passed over me at at least a thousand feet above. Is there any Air Force aircraft in the vicinity? No no, known aircraft in the vicinity. Seems to be playing some sort of game. He's flying over me. Alderseo Sierra Juliet, it's not an aircraft Can you describe the uh, the aircraft? As it's flying past, it's a long shape. I cannot identify it, it has such speed. It's before me right now, Melbourne. How large would the um, the object be? Seems like it's stationary. What it's doing right now is orbiting. The thing is just orbiting on top of me. It's also got a green light and a sort of metallic light. It's shiny on the outside. It's just vanished. That strange aircraft hovering on top of me again. It's hovering, it's not an aircraft.
0: No one knows what Fred saw that evening. All contact was lost after a loud scraping noise came over the radio. Search and rescue alerts were sounded at 7:12 p.m. Sea and air searches encompassed a 1,000-mile radius over the course of 7 days. However, no trace of the aircraft was found.
2: And it turns out voodoo dolls are not really used in Haitian voodoo or even Louisiana voodoo. They are actually based on magical practices that originated from Europe rather than Africa or the Americas. Practitioners of magic in Britain would make dolls of a witch out of rags and other materials and pierce them with pens with the intention of bewitchment, harm, or blessing. Voodoo dolls became linked with the magical practices in voodoo during the first half of the 20th century when western pop culture began depicting them in voodoo ceremony scenes and early movies. They have continued to be made popular in films as a tool of revenge, but that's not how voodoo dolls are usually used in real life practices. You can use voodoo dolls for love, healing, empowerment, guidance, fertility, as well as the usual depiction of cursing and revenge depending on the color pen you use in the doll. The doll is meant to represent the spirit of a particular person. And in order to communicate with that person's spirit using the doll, you need a token of that person, such as a piece of clothing, hair, or something associated with that individual. You can use the doll during prayers, spells, or during meditation routines to aid in the goal you're trying to achieve. Many times, candles, anointing oils, and herbs can be used in rituals to increase the power of the doll. The doll itself can be made from a picture of the individual, yarn, string, fabric, or even bought from somewhere, but you must clear the previous energy with the doll before using no <laughs> that's creepy Like my hands like literally were coming off of it the whole time
0: really? yes yeah mine, mine are like really barely on there yeah mine I'm definitely not doing it it creeped me out when it went to I because my grandpa's name was Irving but it didn't continue spelling Irving so I don't know now I can't say its name because I can't trust anyone. Yeah. Uh,
2: See there you go, man. You messed up. Sorry.
0: Um, Father Michael, to have a drink, wash away the
1: sorrows of the day.
0: The McKissick Museum is thought to be haunted by the former university president who the building is named after. James McKissick led the university through turbulent times during the Great Depression and World War II. He helped the university to continue to grow by presiding over the construction of five dorms, a library which is now the museum, and the renovation of most of the buildings on campus. Staff has reported seeing the ghostly figure of McKissick in the upstairs balcony of the museum. Many have encountered unexplained cold spots. Doors mysteriously opening and items moving on their own. They say that if you see the lights on in the building, then it is McKissick going through his old collection of books that he donated to start the library. In 1944, he suddenly dropped dead of a heart attack. He was such a beloved figure to the faculty and students that they petitioned for him to be buried on campus. Today, his grave sits at the center of the horseshoe in front of the McKissick Museum, where you can still sometimes catch a glimpse of his spirit checking on the university. August 9, 1976, at 6.20 a.m., a trucker saw something unusual on a dirt road between I-95 and Lynch's River Road in Sumter, South Carolina. He stopped to investigate and discovered two bodies on the side of the road. Both victims had been shot three times, execution style. One only was shot in the throat, one in the chest, and one in the back with a 357 revolver. The victims are simply known as Jock and Jane Doe. Their bodies were kept in airtight transparent caskets for a year after their deaths in hopes that someone would come forward and identify them. When the bodies began to deteriorate too much, local law enforcement raised money to have a funeral and bury the bodies in a local cemetery. The killer and the victim's identities still remain unsolved. Rabies is exceptionally common in skunks and bats. So imagine you're out camping one day and decide to take a nap in the campsite you set up. While you are asleep, a rabid brown bat is fidgeting around. You snort and startle the little guy. He freaks out and bites you. Brown bats usually weigh in around six grams, and their teeth are so tiny that the bite barely breaks your skin. It looks almost like a tiny scrape that you could have gotten on your hike up to the campsite, and so you think nothing of it. Unbeknownst to you, the infection process has begun. The virus travels along your nerves to your spinal cord and brain. The incubation period for the virus ranges from a few days, months, and even as long as a year in some cases. If bit or scratched by a possibly infected animal, you should clean the wound with alcohol and seek immediate medical attention. You will then receive a number of rabies vaccines depending on if you've ever received the vaccine before. People at a high risk of exposure to rabies such as animal handlers and veterinarians should be vaccinated to reduce their risk of contracting rabies. The rabies vaccine does have risks and side effects of its own, depending on how a person's body reacts to the vaccine. You have to treat the infected bite immediately, because by the time you begin to show symptoms of rabies, you're as good as dead. The only treatment is the Milwaukee Protocol, which involves putting infected patients into a chemically induced coma and administering antiviral drugs. Right now, the treatment is considered with only one patient surviving with a full recovery. Other survivors of the experimental treatment have been left mentally disabled upon awakening from the chemically induced coma. Over 99% of cases of rabies that reach the symptom state are fatal, and only 8% of patients treated with the Milwaukee Protocol survive. Initial signs and symptoms begin with headaches, fevers, and body aches. Symptoms that someone wouldn't think too much of at first. However, you soon begin to become anxious, scared, and confused. As the virus progresses, you become fidgety and can't stop shaking. You start experiencing the feeling of uncontrollable fear and terror as the virus hits your amygdala and amplifies the horror you're going through. You start getting thirsty, but you can't drink anything. You yearn for water, but with every drink, your throat closes and you puke. This continues and you develop hydrophobia, the fear of water. Your saliva production greatly increases and you get that infamous foaming mouth look. As the virus progresses, you begin to become fidgety, experience anxiety, confusion, insomnia, hallucinations, and your brain begins to swell. You slowly begin to experience terror, delirium, and finally, a coma. Death usually occurs within two to 10 days after your first symptoms. The most famous disappearance in the triangle is the mystery of Flight 19, On December 5, 1945, a squadron of five U.S. Navy bombers took off from Fort Lauderdale, Florida for a practice mission over the island of Bimini. The squadron consisted of 13 students and their commander and trainer, Lt. Taylor. Almost an hour and a half into the mission, ground command began receiving distressed radio transmissions from a confused Lt. Taylor. At the time, he was flying over the Bahamas, but he was convinced that they were somewhere over the Florida Keys because of faulty compass readings. Taylor refused to relinquish command of the squadron to any of the other pilots. He continued trying to correct his position by flying north thinking he was taking the squadron back to Florida, but it only took them further out to sea. It's believed that the squadron continued flying over the open ocean until they ran out of fuel and ditched the planes in the sea. However, no wreckage or sign of the crew was ever found. When it became apparent that Flight 19 was lost, search and rescue planes and ships were alerted to search for any survivors. At 6 p.m., PBM-5, a flying boat took off on a rescue mission to find Flight 19. Again, in another strange twist inside the triangle, at 7.30, the 13-man crew called in a routine radio update and was never heard from again. At 9.15 p.m., a tanker ship reported seeing flames from an explosion 100 feet in the sky. The ship searched for survivors, but only found a pool of oil and aviation gas. PV disappeared from radar at the same time as the reported fireball in the sky. An onboard explosion is believed to be the reason of the crash, but exact cause was never determined of what happened to Flight 19, other than faulty compass readings. The All Saints Church Cemetery, you will find a strange grave that has the name of Alice inscribed on it. It is easy to find because of the rings and other gifts that people will leave behind to pay their respect to the grave of poor Alice Flagg. Alice's life reads like a 19th century Shakespearean tragedy. She was the sister of the very successful and wealthy Dr. Allard Flagg, but she fell in love with a man who was from an undesirable social class for her to marry according to her brother. However, Alice defied her brother's wishes and secretly became engaged with the young lumberman who stole her heart. When Dr. Flagg discovered her engagement, he sent Alice away to boarding school in Charleston, where she quickly contracted malaria. Dr. Flagg graciously allowed poor sick Alice to return home, but it was too late. She died soon after from what those close to her believe was a broken heart. After her death, her brother discovered Alice's engagement ring attached to a ribbon under her dress. Enraged that his sister still defied his wishes even in death, Dr. Flagg took the engagement ring and threw it into the marsh so it could never be found again. He had her buried in the same cemetery as her family but would not allow the family name to be inscribed on her grave. The ghost of Alice has been seen at the Hermitage, her family's old plantation. She is often spotted going up the staircase to her old bedroom. Others have witnessed a ghostly woman in a white dress walking out the front door of the Hermitage clutching something under her chest. Visitors to the All Saints cemetery often report seeing a young woman wandering the grounds looking as though she's frantically searching for something. Some have encountered Alice's ghost in the marsh surrounding the area, desperately searching for her beloved ring that her brother hid from her in death. On February 27th, 1996, Pokemon Red and Pokemon Green were released to the public in Japan. Shortly after, the games became a worldwide phenomenon, selling over 30 million copies. However, shortly after its initial release, there were reports of children acting out of character. It seemed that upon reaching a certain point in the game, children were becoming depressed, developing illnesses, and in some cases, committing suicide. Parents were enraged and demanded that an investigation be held to discover what the Pokemon games were doing to their children. Upon further research, it was discovered that all of the children in question had developed their ailments after reaching a certain city, Lavender Town. Lavender Town in the games is treated as the region's cemetery and ghost habitat. Upon entering the city, the tone and music changes drastically to a shrill tune. Upon further exploration of the city, you will find the Lavender Town Tower. Inside are multiple people mourning the deaths of their beloved Pokemon. You will also run into ghosts that are unable to be defeated and leave your Pokemon shivering in fear. To many, this town seemed out of place for a happy children's game. After investigating further, it was found that the creepy tune that played in Lavender Town contained very high-pitched sounds that only children could hear. In addition, these pitches were known to cause nausea and other illness in children, including depression and suicide. The creators of the game were ordered to go back and fix the music immediately, lowering the tones, which leads to the tune heard in today's copies of the games. It is said, however, that some original copies of Red and Green still contain the haunting melody. Unfortunately, it didn't end there. In 1967, the Soviet Union had an embarrassing disaster on a global stage when the Soyuz 1 parachute failed to properly open after re-entering the atmosphere, killing cosmonaut Vladimir Komarov. He became the first official flight fatality, but was he really the first? Reportedly, Komarov knew the space capsule was unsafe to fly, but did not want the mission to be delayed or scrubbed and fluid anyway. How many of these unsafe flights took place? In 1969, the Soviet Union continued to face global shame as the United States Apollo 11 successfully put men on the moon. Some claim that the Soviet Union attempted to beat the Americans to the moon with their new N1 rocket on July 3, 1969. However, it exploded. Another rumor is that the second Soviet space crew attempted to reach the moon before the Americans but failed to achieve lunar orbit and overshot the moon. The Soviets officially claim all of their lunar test missions were either unmanned test flights or space probes. The Soviets officially ended its moon landing program in 1974. His smile is all teeth. Everything about him screamed fake. I didn't know what else to say or do. About that time, my wife arrived home from work and found me and the strange priest in our living room. My wife was happy to meet our first neighbor, but it didn't take long for the preacher man to start asking my wife the same awkward questions. Are you Christian? How long has that been happening for you? She tells him her grandfather was a minister and she was saved really young. The whole time the preacher has this look of disbelief on his face. You could tell he didn't believe anything we were saying and thought we weren't true Christians. He told us we needed to be saved as adults. He needed to lead us away from our wicked worldly ways that had let us slip into what we thought were Christian lives. He went into a tantrum about the devil and feeling the devil's work in our house. My wife really did not appreciate any of this and before she could get mad at the holy man I tried to get him moving towards the door. He just wouldn't get out. He kept saying that he would see us on Sunday, but tell us we were going to hell if we didn't change our ways. Finally, I start pretty much shoving him out the door, until he dramatically acts like I threw him out the door and down the steps in disbelief that I was trying to get him out of my own house. All I heard him say before I closed the door was, see you there on Sunday.
1: So does it pick up EMF? Yeah, it does. Uh, does it pick up anything really with a magnetic field yeah it does does it find ghosts uh that's up to you Uh, i'll leave that up to ethan and the rest of them but as far as i'm concerned with this thing you know this is this is fucking sixty dollars if you buy the u.s one and this in this case this is thirty dollars there is like five maybe six dollars worth of electrical components on this thing and so my opinion of it is you know the old saying if the women don't find you handsome they should at least find you handy enough to fucking solder together six dollars worth of horse shit and find a goddamn ghost in your house
0: with the voices gone Abby and her family went on vacation to de-stress after her recent health scare yet the voices returned and told Abby that she must return to England immediately for treatment she listened and returned to London to see Dr. Azawon again because he was beginning to trust the voices The voices once told her, to help you see that we are sincere, we would like you to check the following. They told her three separate pieces of information that she had no prior knowledge of, but upon checking the information out, she discovered everything the voices had told her was true. She began to have increasingly more delusional thoughts and hallucinations. The voices gave her a specific address of a large London hospital. They told her she needed to go there and ask for a brain scan because her brainstem was now inflamed from the tumor. She was running out of time. Abby's initial requests for a brain scan were turned down because of the lack of evidence and anything physically wrong with her. Dr. Azawon continued to request and negotiate with the hospital to perform a brain scan to see if there was anything physically wrong with her causing these strange voices. The scan was finally approved and performed the following month. More scans were ordered when the first did show signs of a mass in Abby's head. Luckily, the doctors believed a safe operation could be performed to remove it before it grew any larger. Abby underwent surgery in the following weeks, and the doctor successfully removed the entire tumor that had been growing on her brain. When Abby was in the recovery room afterwards, she reported hearing the strange voices one last time saying, We are pleased to have helped you, goodbye. Abby made an amazing recovery and did not require any additional treatment or medication. It is well known that lesions on the brain can cause psychiatric symptoms, but this was the first documented case of hallucinatory voices successfully diagnosing a patient comforting them, and encouraging them to seek a specific treatment. There is a ghostly lady dressed up in all blue that is often seen walking slowly into Ponce de Leon Hall at night. Sometimes she heads towards the dining hall and appears to be confused by all the unfamiliar furniture in the room. Other times she can be seen covering her face and looking as if she's crying. She is not one of Henry's many lovers, but she is another restless spirit still suffering the heartbreak and grief from her previous life. The Lady in Blue was the mistress of another wealthy man who stayed in the old luxury hotel. Every day the man would promise that he was going to leave his wife for the Lady in Blue, but he would always make up an excuse as to why he couldn't do it right away, until the ultimate test of his love came. The Lady in Blue proudly announced to her lover that she was pregnant with his child and expected him to finally leave his wife and marry her. However, the man denied his love for the mistress and claimed the child most likely belonged to another man the harlot had been sleeping with. Hysterically, the lady in blue packed her belongings and fled. However, she tripped on her long beautiful blue dress while going down the stairs and broke her neck in the fall. She died instantly, becoming another heartbroken victim of the hotel. In 1691, King William III of England and II of Scotland decreed that all Scottish Highland chiefs must take an oath of loyalty to him. Unfortunately, Maclean chief of the MacDonald's clan of Glencoe signed the oath two days past the deadline which enraged the new king. To set an example for all Highland clans, the Secretary of State for Scotland ordered the deaths of Maclean and his clan. In early February of 1692, A regiment of British soldiers from the Campbell clan arrived in Glencoe under the command of Captain Robert Campbell. They claimed to be peaceful visitors in the area and took advantage of the clan's highland hospitality. The soldiers stayed in the homes of the McDonald's for 12 days until Captain Campbell received his orders which read, To fall upon the rebels, the McDonald's of Glencoe, and put all of the sword under 70. So in the wee hours of February 13th, the soldiers began brutally murdering their hosts as they slept. It is estimated that 38 of the McDonald's were slaughtered in the ambush, and another 40 to 100 later died from exposure hiding in the hills of Glencoe after the attack. The massacre is considered to be one of the greatest tragedies in Scottish history. Many believe that Glencoe is still haunted by the horrific events that occurred that morning hundreds of years ago. The ghosts of MacLean and the slaughtered McDonald's are often witnessed in the Glen. Many report encountering spirits of the clan still hiding in the hills. Some nights, phantom pipers can be heard playing in Glencoe. Most tourists visit the area in the summer, but winter is the best time to visit for a chance of a paranormal encounter. Early on in the morning of the anniversary of the massacre is when the presence of the McDonald's is felt the strongest. Some have even stumbled upon a phantom reenactment of the massacre and heard the screams of the dying victims. Many believe the massacre could have been worse if it wasn't for the supernatural warning from the clan Kunyak. An invisible Scottish Banshee whose cries were supposedly heard at a nearby waterfall on the night before the disaster. Some of the clan members took the cries as an omen and fled into the mountains before the massacre began.
2: This is by All Star, the best Smash Mouth song, on December 15th, 2015. I bought this for a friend, but I couldn't resist using it first. I'm very skeptical about this stuff and I wanted to show her she was full of shit. Before I gave it to her, I tried it out one thing that you'll find is that spirits are funny and have a great sense of humor but don't use this box in one place for too long they are attracted to communication and will flock to it if you use the box in a room they will manifest and move things and it takes a lot to get them out and then you have the bad ones as i like to call them they are worse you have to get really nasty with them but that's for another time so just be careful don't open up a portal unless you're ready Otherwise, stuff starts flying around the house and scares everyone. Starting shit in one of the planes is not good unless you know how to properly work the energy. Be very respectful of things on the other side and just be nice. Take care. Blessed be. Something like that coming from a skeptic is really interesting. Now, I'm a skeptic, but all these spirit planes can open up and all these things can happen. Don't use it in one place. I think that's really good advice for anything paranormal. You shouldn't all do it in one place.
0: In 2002, Six Flags bought a struggling 140-acre amusement park in New Orleans named Jazzland. They upgraded it with new rides and renamed the park Six Flags New Orleans in 2003. By 2005, Six Flags was planning to upgrade the park further and add a water park, but those plans were put on hold when Six Flags New Orleans closed for Hurricane Katrina. Most of the park was flooded and submerged for over a month in water that reached up to 7 feet deep in some areas. Much of the flood water contained corrosive salt water that damaged many of the rides beyond repair, effectively making it a total loss. The park was the least profitable of all Six Flags parks in the country, and the damage caused by Katrina was estimated to be over $32 million. Yet, Six Flags only received $11.5 million for the loss from their insurance company, causing the park to not be rebuilt and the land lease returned to the city in 2009. Since then, all redevelopment plans for the property have fallen through. Proposals for the site included multiple amusement parks, an outlet mall named Jazzland, and even plans to build a power plant on the abandoned site. Since the property has been vacant for over a decade, it has been used to film several movies that include Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Jurassic World, and Deepwater Horizon. Despite this, the park is in very poor condition. Trespassing is strictly prohibited and the property is patrolled 24 hours a day by the New Orleans Police Department. There are several stories online and YouTube videos of people sneaking into the property successfully, but there are also many posts online about being caught and charged with trespassing. We drove to the entrance of the park and filmed with a drone. It appeared like you could attempt to go in if you wanted to risk trespassing for the thrills of YouTube views. The abandoned park is still like a swampy wildlife reserve we saw a giant snake while there and the property is also supposedly home to alligators, wild boars, fire ants, and water moccasins. Visit at your own risk. In April of 1922, two-year-old Pauline Picard was playing alone outside of the family farm in gauss au Brittany, France. The area was a small and safe community and Pauline's mother let all of her nine children roam free on the surrounding farmland. However, When she called Pauline in for supper, she never returned. Her parents frantically searched for her, and more than 150 people from the surrounding area joined in the search for the missing girl. However, the massive search party turned up no trace of Pauline. The following month, the police informed Pauline's family that a little girl was found wandering the streets of Cherbark, a town that was over 200 miles away. The girl matched the description of Pauline, and her parents believed it was her when the police showed them a picture of the girl. Pauline's parents traveled by train to get to their missing daughter, but upon meeting her, they were uncertain if it was truly her. The girl appeared to not recognize her parents and did not speak or react to their native Breton language. The family decided to bring the girl home with them, believing that Pauline was simply malnourished and traumatized by whatever caused her to end up in the strange town far from home. Everyone in the area was happy to have little Pauline back home. Her brothers, sisters, and everyone in the community that saw the girl believed that she was Pauline, however, she didn't appear to recognize anyone, except she did seem frightened of the area of the farm where she was abducted from. The police thought Pauline was abused by her kidnapper, and they searched for a mysterious woman dressed in rags that was last seen with the girl before she was rescued from Cherbourg. Despite the happy reunion with Pauline and her family, life didn't return to normal. Pauline continued acting strange, and her family began suspecting that the girl was not actually Pauline.